Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. Hello, Going There Girlies. We are back again and excited. I'm kind of giddy, so excited, honestly. Yeah. It sounds really silly and she's probably laughing herself, but we want to welcome a really fun interview today. So this morning we have Jada Edwards on with us. Welcome, welcome Jada. Jada. Hello, hello. We're excited. Yes. We were telling you before, we know that it's not right to really put certain people on pedestals, especially in the Christian like teaching, speaking, author world, but you are just someone that we love listening to your teaching, and so we're excited for our audience to get to hear from you if they haven't before. Well, and I think in a good way, we can be like, hey, go God for just giving you the talent and the ability and just the wisdom to do what you do and you and your husband. It's fun for to watch you guys like work together and we'll dive more into that. And so just praise to him for allowing you to do that because we have been a recipient of that teaching and it's really awesome to watch you do that and just learn. I learned about you first in like 2019, so it's not been that long ago. But why don't you just start us off there, tell our audience more about you, your life, your work. Yeah, let us get to know Jada a little bit more. Well, I am a wife of 180,000 years or 22 (laughs) years and a mom, much shorter time than wifehood. So my oldest is 10. He is the sweetest, most compassionate boy on the earth. And my youngest is six, Chloe. She is the spiciest, smartest, most brilliant truth teller. I love that. And so those two probably take up a good bulk of my time. My son has just ventured off into middle school and I feel like I'm in middle school. (laughs) But we family stuff. And then my husband Conway and I started a church called One Community Church. Actually, we're celebrating 15 years. That's awesome. Exciting things going on this year. And so we have our church out in the North Texas area and a few campuses in surrounding areas, Dallas-Fort Worth. And so teaching at church, mothering, writing, speaking, all the things and laundry and (laughs) all the regular life things. All the mundane. Yeah. Yeah. We have to ask, have you gotten into like middle school homework yet? Or is that still new? Are you like having to do fractions? I have. That is why I'm like losing sleep. Because after he goes to sleep, then I'm like checking the assignment sheet. I'm like, okay. And this morning, of course, it doesn't matter how much I check every time we're he's eating breakfast and I go, Hey, these are not complete sentences. You need to be right. <laughs> I just have a kindergartner starting this year. So even the kindergarten load of like reading 15 minutes at night and making sure I sign the Friday folder, I've been trying to explain to some of my friends who aren't in that season yet. It is adding a mental load that I was not expecting. My daughter wears uniforms at our school. So it's like, what day is the non-uniform day? What day is the spirit day? Oh, you eat in the cafeteria on Fridays for fun Friday. I'm like, I cannot keep all of this straight. And it's just starting. This is your first? Your oldest is in kindergarten? Yes. Oh, just wait, because they <laughs> dress up more than any humans on the earth. I swear. Yeah. It's going to be 100 days of school and then it's <laughs> first day of fall, just like a lease. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, yes. my God. We're the uniform that we paid. I was going to say. Like, well, that's what we're officially in pre-K this year, but our... preschool that our kids have gone to they do all of the dress up days too and honestly half the time I walk in I'm like I'm so sorry my kid's not the one dressed up like I look at my kid I'm like I'm sorry mommy didn't know it was pajama day so you have to wear normal clothes but I'm just like I can't keep track yeah and as they get older they remember and then 
you don't live it down. Because my daughter will come home, like, and I send her in a uniform and she'll go, today was a spirit day, mom. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. I knew it was one for your brother, but I wasn't sure. Mom, everyone had on jeans. <laughs> I was like, well, and then mm. those are the stories when they're like 25 years old. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, my mom therapy. forgot the spirit day. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, okay, we're trying our best That's what here. my in-laws always say when we talk, when we give them a hard time about like my husband's habits. They're like, hey, you know what? We'll pay for his counseling, just starting a counseling fund. It's oh, like, yeah, hey. a counseling fund. We started that. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So middle school, homework, life, and trying not to neglect my first grader whose school experience seems so much easier now that my son's out of elementary, but I'm trying to make sure I'm still engaged in all her little reading and <laughs> counting by tens and all the things. And so That's awesome. It's fun. And That's kids so keep fun. you humble. They don't care what you do outside the house. They don't care if you were just at the White House. They're like, what's for dinner? Exactly. <laughs> well, that's a good question. You were kind of talking before you guys started this church. And then how did you get into teaching, authoring, speaking? I'm a firm believer that God gives us purpose before he gives any specific platform. I'm a firm believer in that. And so the things that my husband and I do, he writes, he has books as well and does leadership development. Mine is more heavy into Bible teaching, but we did those things before we knew each other. And we did those things before we started a church. And so the church just provided a different environment. But man, I remember I was probably in high school when I started really having a love for the word, maybe even junior high. And I was very blessed to grow up at Oakland Bible Fellowship and sit under Tony Genius Evans my whole life. And so hearing such a prolific communicator, like a genius, he has a doctorate in theology. So his teaching style was really a little more academic, which I liked. And so I just remember being 13 and 14 and he is a genius and he would be teaching. And I remember sitting in church, writing notes in my program going, I think I would say that differently. Or I think, like I knew, like I'm 13. (laughs) I love that spirit about you though. It just was always there. Well, I was like, I wonder how he got that out of that. I just always remember that. And so then high school, I used to send like emails to my friends and I'd be like, Friday's inspiration. And That is so cute. I can totally see it. It'd be some little story, little Bible, like an illustration. And they'd be like, oh my God, it's so good. (laughs) Then did it in college. And even when I was living crazy, party on the weekend, like, okay, yeah, but tomorrow we are having Bible study at my house. I love it. So it just was always there. You know, I taught students at our church and my husband and I decided to start a church. We just did what we had always been doing. I didn't feel like I needed to figure out something new. I mean, I told him, I don't play piano. I don't do children's ministry. (laughs) I'm not a regular pastor's wife. So you sure you want to do this? That's what we did. So I started teaching women's Bible study. Like when we started the church, he was teaching. And so it's just grown from there. The writing and all that other stuff, podcasts, writing, speaking, that comes out of the call to teach. And so I really try to encourage people, ask God what he's asking you to do. And then the how will always change. Sometimes it'll be a book and sometimes it'll be a conversation and sometimes it'll be a message. The how and the platform, the venue, those things are secondary. What he's asked you to do is what you need to be doing, whether it's a circle of 10 women or you're standing on the stage. I was thinking about that this week, actually, our like fall women's Bible study started back up this weekend. Christian and I are doing one together, I think for the first time ever, maybe. We've never really done the same one. And there's a lady in our local church who has been teaching the Bible for, I mean, there's probably like 20 options of classes you can take. And a lot of the times it's two women leading through a devotional or study. She 
teaches God's word and teaches you how to study it and really believes in equipping women. And I was just thinking about how many lives she's impacted over the years. And I mean, people just crave being in her class, soak up her wisdom. And she doesn't have an Instagram. She's not teaching from a giant stage. She is being really faithful to teach what God has taught her and the talent he's given her to help others understand that. We always tell our listeners, you can follow a Jada, you can follow a Jenny Allen, whoever, and they have so much wisdom that you can learn from, but go into your local church and find older women or women ahead of you and learn from them because that's where like that connection is going to come too. And so I just am really passionate about women finding their own place in a local church and learning that way. And so I love that that's what you're saying too. You can have an influence, whether it's two people sitting in front of you or you're speaking at a stage at if gathering. That's cool. Absolutely. And quite honestly, it's one of the reasons I love Jenny and I always say yes to if is because we're church girls and we're like the gathering, the events, they're awesome, but you don't get to walk and grow with those people. That's a one touch. That's a high five once a year. Those are not the people that you're locked arm in arm with. And Quite honestly, if all of that went away, speaking and teaching and writing, I'm still teaching Bible study first and third Wednesdays at one community church. Those women doing Bible study twice a month, that's my heart. And so everything for me comes out of that. I don't sit down and go, what does the world need now in a book? I am more of a, here's what God is asking me to talk to our church about. Okay, how else can that be packaged? And so my role in our church really drives almost everything I do. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll talk more about local church, too, because we love it. Big advocates for it. If you've not already heard, this is literally why I love just hearing and learning from you, because I think you just like exude authenticity, like in how you speak about your relationship with Jesus, how you speak about what you're learning. And I think it's just so attractive when we get to hear and learn from people who you're like, oh, no, you actually understand God's word is literally like living words jumping off a page. We get to like teach and talk and learn and grow from that. And it's just really fun. Like I'm seriously honored just to be able to hear from you in that because I hope you all feel the authenticity that Jada brings to those conversations because it's really awesome. But anyways, we're going to jump right in. You've obviously been teaching the Bible a long time. I mean, since I guess you were 13, getting a taste for it. But what we're talking about today, which is actually something you talk quite a bit about, and you've talked in a series recently, I think you did with your women's studies, but about the what you kind of would describe as like Christian tension. Can you talk to us about how do you describe this tension that we live in as Christians? We talk a ton about this on the podcast that... We love to have these conversations because we hope that we're not just having them here. We hope that people are listening and then going to have them in their communities. But obviously, we are called to live differently, to look differently. We are called that this place is not our home, that we're called to a place that's beyond here that will be our home. And so what does it look like to live in this world that we are going to build community, that we're going to have friends in, that we want to live lives that are attractive and appealing to other people so that they say, hey, what is that about you that makes you different? But then also, like, what does that tension look like? Because we all feel it. How much do I go into the culture? How much do I only talk about the Bible 100% of my time? What's that look like? You call it Christian tension, but talk to us about that. I do. It's the current series I'm teaching at our church. This started showing up for me some years ago when I started noticing, and it's always been this way, but I just started having a different awareness of how Christians felt this need to validate their faith by not being fully human. Somebody just died in your life. And before they sit with grief, they're like, but God is good. And he's sovereign. I know he has a plan. I'm like, hold on. Yes, he does. But wait, also 
you're crying randomly and that's okay. And you not getting over it, whatever that means, is not an indication of your faith. Or they would beat themselves up because I'm worried about something or I'm struggling with anxiety and, you know, it's not from the Lord and be anxious for nothing. And that's the command, but also you're human. And so it's been in the back of my mind for a while. And so I decided to really ask the Lord, what's a passage of scripture? Because one of my things is I need to be teaching from a text. So there's a lot of truths that may come into your mind, but I'm like, if it's not anchored in a passage of scripture for me, then I'd struggle. So it was just kind of floating out there. And so a couple months ago, maybe a month ago, the Lord gave me Second Corinthians 4, this whole Paul is laying out the fact that we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about the gospel and the glory of the knowledge of God and all these beautiful things. And he talks about the fact that we have this treasure in jars of clay. And he goes on to say these extreme things that happen to us, but how we've survived. We're crushed, but we're not despairing and all these kind of things he's going on. I get all those words tangled up until I'm like to read the scripture, but it starts off with treasure in jars of clay. And so to me, I was like, oh, this is really why we have this tension because we are jars of clay. We are human. We feel things deeply. We worry. We struggle with anxiety. We get sad. We get happy, all the things. And then we are housing the perfection of the Holy Spirit once we're believers. And so the tension, which I was explaining to our Bible study group, tension is different than opposition. So opposition we see in scripture is sin and flesh. You should do one, not the other. Sin and righteousness, spirit and flesh, those are oppositions. Tension is not the same. Tension is where God is asking us to live in both. He's asking us to live in the middle of this spot that's not always comfortable. It is the Garden of Gethsemane moment where Jesus, as God the Son, knows the cross is necessary. But Jesus, as a man, is like, can this cup be removed? And he's in both of those places. And you better believe that he was not just asking. He wasn't thinking about that cup being removed in the garden. That's not when that started. (laughs) He knew from the beginning what was ahead of him. And so he had to live his whole ministry knowing that something he was going to do is not something he wanted to do. And his humanity was so strong that he did not resolve that in his head. His humanity didn't say, you know, you got to do the cross. Don't even ask. It's the will of God. His humanity was so deeply affected by what was coming that he asked a question he really already knew the answer to. And it's in those kind of moments that we see there's a tension we live in where We want something that's different than what God wants. But our humanity says, I'm still going to ask. I need God to at least know my heart, even though I know what he's going to say. There's a tension that says I need to be able to grieve deeply with my friend and celebrate what God is doing in my life. What happens when my friend who's been trying to get pregnant for five years finally conceives and then the same day my other friend, her mother's diagnosed with cancer. I got to be able to be in both of those places. I can't just over-spiritualize my friend's grief and I can't kill my friend's celebration because I'm in such a place that I can't be in both. And so that ability to say, the spirit says, how do I love both of these people well and still be human with all of those failures and flaws, Charles of Clay, I think is the place that we live in for most of our lives. We don't arrive at some place of peace and never worry again. When we finally do something by faith, It's not that we are like never faithless again. We do something by faith. And then the next time we're still going to be asking the same questions. Are you sure God? How God? What? Because we're human. If you don't know how to navigate that tension, you will, number one, not be able to represent the gospel well, because the gospel is not some arrival point that once you accept Jesus, you're never anxious and you always have peace. It's not. It is a constant ebb and flow of having the Holy Spirit in me, but being very human and having the ups and downs and all that stuff with life. 
and you won't have a deep relationship with God because you'll think that my faith must not be strong if I'm worried. My faith must not be strong if I'm still sad. My mom died a year ago. My dad died 10 years ago. Why does it still bother me? That's not some indication of spiritual maturity. That's human. The whole thing is to try to bring some relief to people, to not try to be in one place or the other. This is not opposition like sin and righteousness. This is tension. How do you live in both? Because that's really what God calls us to do. I love everything you said because something I was going to ask you, you totally just answered, just that we can kind of think that when we become a follower of Jesus, that we're not going to struggle with these human emotions anymore. But we forget that sometimes I remind myself, God created me as a human, knowing that I would have all of these dynamic emotions. Jesus came to earth and experienced those same feelings. And so why do I go get so surprised sometimes when emotionally I don't have things under control or I am struggling with certain sins that I feel like I kind of tackled or conquered five years ago. And those things pop up a little bit in certain seasons. And so I think everything you said just answers that so well. It's so easy for us to kind of slip back into believing that we won't struggle in those same ways. But like you're talking about, it is this tension. So how can we kind of learn and practice being fully present in that tension, not letting it freak us out when we're like, okay, my mother-in-law currently, as of the last few weeks, got a brain cancer diagnosis and is starting her journey with that. And something that's been really weird for my husband and I is that we are home now. We have two little kids and we have to like live life as we're in that tension. And so what are some things that people can do as they practically walk through life to really sit in that and be okay with that versus trying to get to one side or the other? The Garden of Gethsemane moment is pivotal for me and for so many reasons, but this is one of them. I think Jesus shows us that we can be fully committed to the will of God and fully seek what God wants to do in our life and tell God the true thing happening in our heart. And so it starts with prayer, I think, because there's times where I get a message from someone or I find out bad news from someone. I find out, I may find out good news from someone and my day is in the toilet. I've had 10 things happen to me or I heard whatever. And it is selfish for me to say, oh, I can't come to your baby shower or I can't share this moment with you because I'm in a space. I want to take space for myself, but I also know that my savior had his final supper with the man he knew who was going to betray him. And he still had that supper. He still had that man at the table. And that man did not derail what Jesus had planned for those disciples. So I'm like, there is a way to have that and to know that thing out there that's painful and still be asking God what he wants you to do in that moment. It's a moment to moment thing. There's times where I have to take a breath and say, I'm feeling this way. I'm frustrated with something. Me and my husband are in an argument or I got some bad news today. And then my friend is like, oh my God, I'm sorry for this award, blah, blah, blah. Okay, God, I need some guidance here. I need to be in this. I don't want to put this on the shelf, but also how do I love her well? I don't want to assume that how I'm feeling in the moment takes priority and gets to dictate my responses and emotions for the rest of the day or whatever the case may be. I think our culture tends to swing toward that way because we love self-care and protecting our peace and all the things. So we're just like, hey, I got to protect my peace. I don't have the capacity to do that and space and margin. And we know all these therapy words. And so we're doing all these things, but we're never saying, Oh, Philippians 2, 3, how do I have the mind of Christ? How do I consider someone's interests more than my own? I can know that this grief or this hard day or whatever I'm frustrated about is not going anywhere and say, God, how do I love her well? And he's like, you need to celebrate her. You need to 
remind her of this journey, blah, blah, blah. And for me to be able to be present with her for an hour, two hours, or say, let's celebrate Friday. Let's go out for dinner or whatever. Cool. And then I can deal with my reality. But acting by God into that moment. And I think most of the time we just defer to whatever is the prominent emotion, my joy or my sadness or whatever. And then that decides everything. I'm not asking God. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, we just got this good news. And then my friend calls and is like, I just had a horrible day. I just, whatever, broke up with someone or lost my job. Okay. I don't want to say, oh, I don't want to talk to her right now because she's going to kill my joy. That's selfish. I should be able to say, I can be in this joy and put a pin in that and still love her in that moment, whatever the moment requires. But I think it demands that we invite God more into those moments than we just decide how we think we're going to handle them the best. <laughs> I think most of the time we just decide whatever feels good to us. And God wants us to invite him in those moments and say, what do I do with this? I want to be in both of these things. That's what I think what you're describing there is actually probably a practice that in our Western Christianity and culture, we are really uncomfortable and unfamiliar with of just this idea of constantly submitting myself, constantly humbling myself, constantly realizing I'm not in control, constantly saying, God, you are sovereign, you are good. We as Christians, when we read scripture, we should be very confident and able to be able to say, no, these are the characteristics of God. These are the qualities of him. And when I'm walking with him, I can actually own those too. But then it's a daily practice. And I think even as you talk, I'm like, gosh, yeah, why is that so hard? I think you've given us so many good examples. But can you walk through some of those for us? Obviously, like none of us get to like listen to your whole series. Now I want to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but I'm like, but what does that look like? Because like we've all been in places where, yeah, we are having a really awful week. But then this person's joy comes in and you're like, I'm just not in a place to like bring that into my day or I don't know, celebrate that with that person or have that hard conversation. I've literally had this terrible, awful day. Walk us through some of those examples practically, because I think that's actually really helpful to hear. We have to be people who are welcoming God into that space to say, Lord, like you are sovereign, you're in control. I am finite. You are infinite. Please help me. What does that help look like? Just walk us through some of that if you could. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. I had just found out. I can't remember what I found out because good news (laughs) Seems so important at the time. And then you're like, I forgot what I was excited. I think it was something with a book or something with our church. It was great. Me and my husband were on cloud 10 and everything was great. And then my friend called me and told me her mother had a cancer diagnosis or she texted me. And I looked at it and I remember going, ooh, not right now. I'm having a great day. I'm going to have to call her later. And then I just paused for a moment. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> Lord, what do you want me to do? And it wasn't even that he was like, call her right now and go over her house and sit with her for five hours. You know, sometimes we're so scared God's going to ask us to do something hard, but sometimes it is hard, but also he's not going to set us up to fail. He's like, I'm not going to send you over there while you all bubbling on cloud 10, but you just need to acknowledge she just shared something with you. And so I paused. I remember I left the room, me and my husband, some friends uh, were over. I left the room and I paused and I like literally prayed like a little 10 second, like, okay, God, if this was me, (laughs) or I know her well, what do I need to say? And literally it was not a copy and paste scripture. Oh my gosh, people who love the Bible. Most of the time when people send you something hard or something great, they're not like, send me a, a scripture for this. They want your humanness. I just was like, I can't even imagine what that's like. How are you feeling? This sucks. You just need to say what you're feeling, how you'd be feeling. She loves Jesus. That's not the moment for me to give her a sermon about how God is sovereign and his will be done and all that. I was just was like, this is horrible. And I love you. 
And do you want to talk about it or do you want space? Whatever. And she responded like in the next 15, 20 minutes. I kept checking my phone. She said, oh, thank you so much. I'm not even ready to talk about it yet. Can I call you tomorrow? Absolutely. It was just a moment. It was just a moment, which is so different than not responding to her text the rest of the day because I was having a great day. And you didn't want to carry the weight of that. Yeah. Selfish. I was selfish. I did not want to be thinking about her mother's cancer diagnosis while we were like excited for all this amazing thing we've been hoping God would do. And he was like, yeah, but I'm present in both of those. I'm with you here and I'm with her there. And you're not perfect. We can't be God. But man, he's called us to try to embrace what it means to have the beauty of the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to be human in our moments and still do the spiritual divine thing. That's the divine thing, to show compassion to someone when you're not feeling it. That's the Holy Spirit. That is not Jada, because Jada didn't want to do it. It's the Holy Spirit saying, dude, love her well. Just give it a moment. And then when she was like, I don't feel like talking today, I feel like the Lord was looking at me like, (laughs) see, you worry about spending your day. She doesn't want to talk to you right now. That's so funny. You would not have known that. You're so worried about trying to protect your little celebration right now. And so... It shows up, I think, in really practical ways. And I, I wrote a couple of things down from our last lesson. It shows up when we're able to comfort someone, even when we're in need of comfort. There's sometimes that someone calls, they said theirs before they asked you about yours. And you're like, yeah, well, what about my day? That is our subtle selfishness. When someone tells a story, good or bad, and we respond to, we respond with something that's about us. Oh yeah, that happened to me. We just can't help it. We just think about ourselves. And so... The Holy Spirit says, hold on. This is not about you in this moment. That's the spirit. So he gives us the ability to say, hey, you can tell her tomorrow or you can tell her later. But right now in this moment, just hear her, hear her part of this, hear what she's going through. And so I think we want things to be a black and white. When this situation occurs, do this. When this situation occurs, do that. And it's just not that way. It's what it means to depend on the spirit. It just is when I'm feeling like, I want to do this my way. I want to check out or I want to talk about myself or I don't want to be uncomfortable. Like all those things that are about me, I just have to ask God, how do you want me to handle this? As an example with grief or bad news, anything, we're all wired differently. Some of us are emotional and a hard day sends us into a space. We want to be on the couch with popcorn and ice cream or whatever. Some of us, a hard day makes us work harder. We're like, okay, I'm about to get it together and this is never going to happen again. Well, my humanity says, here's how I'm wired. I'm fast paced. I'm like, let's recover quickly. Let's bounce back. But I might be needing to connect with someone who's not wired that way. And so the spirit in my humanity says, stop. Quit telling her to get over it. That's not going to work. Quit telling her to move on. Quit telling her that there's an opportunity. on. That is not what she needs right now. And so I have to still be human. I know how I'm wired, but I have to invite the Holy Spirit to say, what's the tension in this? Here's how I would handle it. That's not what's going to help my friend right now. It's an awareness that I'm naturally self-centered. We're all naturally self-centered. So how do I invite God into all of these small moments so I can be in the tension? And when I leave my friend, I go handle my life the way I handle my life. I'm like, oh, okay, let let me get my stuff together. But when I'm with her, the Lord may be saying, slow down. She just wants to lay right here. And I'm sitting there going, oh, girl, are we talking about something? No, I just want to sit in the silence. Oh, yeah. All right. And I have to do that. That's the tension. You're stepping into that with them is like how he calls us. Yeah. And it's hard that way. 
Yes. And not to be a savior, it's spirit led because the spirit is not going to tell me to do that every time. When it's spirit led, there's going to be other times that my friend who likes to sulk or sit in a pity party, the spirit's going to say, hey, you need to lovingly tell her this is enough. So I can't just say, here's the default way. I have to be asking the Lord what to do every moment. That's how I live in the tension, inviting him into my humanity and saying, what do I do? Here's what I think I should do. Here's what feels good to me. What should I do? And that's just a constant conversation with God all day. Yes. So many good thoughts because I'm sitting here personally convicted about things. I think you talk about, yeah, they tell them about my day first. I'm like, gosh, this is me and my husband every day. Like if I've had a terrible day, I'm like he's had a terrible day. I'm like, gosh, now I can't go into my terrible day. Like, woe is me. This is terrible. <laughs> I know. You're like, oh, they went first. Dang. I mean, it's literally okay. what I do every day at 530 p.m., yeah. which is like kind of pathetic. But then I even think as you're talking, one thing that's coming to my mind, gosh, how quick are we as Christians? I think good intended. But again, we're messy, broken humans. But we judge how other people are either guiding or helping or assisting or caring or someone else, how someone else is going through grief or whatever. And we think like, you should do it this way. And I think, again, we are just so slow to invite the Holy Spirit into helping us have wisdom in those moments and so quick to in our fleshy self say, well, I have really good thoughts. I am very superior. I have a lot of like spiritual knowledge. You should do it this way because this is the right way. And I just think, gosh, I mean, yeah, I don't even know if you intended it and saying it that way, but I was like, that's really convicting to me because I think we should all be taking that from it. I think too, it reminds me of like what you said, easier said than done, but like God could have done a lot of things with us. <laughs> he created us. So he made us exactly how he wanted us. And I think a hard thing to recognize is like he did make us with emotions. He made us as people who would experience an array of different things. And so I think even just going back to your earlier example of how quick you are to say, yeah, so-and-so just passed away, but God is good. It is all well. And it's like, it's a that's just so peeve. not normal. I mean, that's just not <laughs> yeah. a normal response. It is okay. And to the point where if you're not a deep emotional processor, because we're all wired different, other people's great joy, their exuberance, their whatever, or their deep grief, their deep pain, it makes you uncomfortable. It will make you uncomfortable if you're not an emotionally deep person. And that's not right or wrong. We're just wired differently. Some people like just get a million things done. They're just task oriented. But like, you know, that's not you. I have a dear friend who has lost several people in her family over the last couple of years. And all of my other friends are like, are you sure you're not okay? Because she hasn't had like this meltdown, but that's not how she's wired. And so they're trying to like rub the tears out of her back. And they're like, and I'm like, y'all, that is not how she's wired. If it's coping, something unhealthy, yes, that's what your friends do. They should be like, mm, you might need to ask the Lord about that. But because her way of dealing with grief is uncomfortable for a lot of my friends, they're like, they'll call and they'll go, I think something's going on. She's not really. I was like, yeah, she's never been like a sit on the couch with a pillow clutch to her chest crying person ever. <laughs> so this is how you love her. Every time you call her, she does not want you to ask how she really is doing because we think so much through our own filter. That's what I would want. So I'm going to do that to them too. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what it is. I mean, I think we think a lot of that. Yeah. Like, what would I want? And instead we think, no, like, what would they want? Or like, God, like, how would it look like to love her best right now? Or what would it look like for me to make less of myself and more of her or more of God in this situation? And we quickly just jump to, well, what would I want? Or this is how I would probably handle it if that exact same thing happened to me. But it's like, you don't know how you would feel in that situation. Sometimes we surprise ourselves. I'm like, oh, I'm kind of over talking about this. And usually I would talk about it for hours. Just depends. I'm just over it. It just depends. 
this friend, even though that's how she's wired, something may happen in the future that really devastates her. And I have to be like, okay, God, what do I do? Because he's going to tell me moment by moment, hey, I know in the past she normally does this, but today this has hurt her. You need to call her. That's what God does. That's the treasure that we have in this brokenness, that I'm not always assuming that my way is the right way. So I have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And reminding ourselves and inviting the Holy Spirit into even the times that we need to go back and apologize and say, hey, I didn't do that well, or I wasn't thinking about you in that moment, or hey, I want to circle back on that thing. I think we can remind ourselves to give like ourselves grace to extend that apology, but then also like to other people and say, hey, yeah, that friend actually really hurt me and how she responded. But like, I don't need to hold that against her because I'm sure she was like trying her best or that's what she thought was going to be helpful, but it was actually kind of hurtful. And just letting it go and giving grace both ways too. easier said than done. That is great. I used to tell my friends, I'm like, I think apologizing should have been a spiritual gift. Like (laughs) everybody needs to be able quick to apologize because we are offensive. We're offending people all day long. And offensive doesn't mean that it's external. You can offend people with your silence. You can offend people by not responding or by ignoring them or we hurt each other's feelings. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit will have you apologizing and reconnecting about something that your humanity never would have thought of. Nobody invites you out because you don't even like Mexican food and we were going for Mexican And then the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, but she also said she has missed you and y'all haven't hung out in a month. You're like, yes, (laughs) that's what the Holy Spirit does. Because you're just like, why are you even offended? You hate Mexican food. It literally makes you throw up every time we go eat. (laughs) And your friend is like, yeah, but still, I would have just sat there with y'all because I haven't seen you in forever. Only the Holy Spirit will tell you, you need to call her and say, totally did not mean to do that. My bad. Let's reconnect. Because otherwise you'll just do what makes sense to you. And what's comfortable to you and go on living your life clueless of how we're not leaning in the community or doing the uncomfortable things that God's asked us to do. Some people listening right now may be like, this is awesome. But like, how do I engage with the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What are you even talking about? Like, I feel so far from God right now. I can't even read my Bible every single day. Talk to that girl. I don't know if that's you sharing how you connect with God and what does that look like daily for you, Jada? What does that look like? What do you mean when you say we have to be people who call on the Holy Spirit and use that in our lives to love people well and use wisdom in our decisions? Well, it starts off with a surrender to Jesus. I do think with the mass availability of information about Jesus and Christianity and the Bible, there's a lot of people who are trying to apply some truth to their lives and they haven't first surrendered to Jesus. And I'm just going to say the gospel is where you start. You can't try to start behaving better if you have not shifted your beliefs. Like we just take good messages and good nuggets and good sermons and like, oh, I'm going to start doing that. Yeah, it doesn't work that way because the Bible is not about moralism. It's not about trying to do the right things. It is about surrendering to Christ and having a Holy Spirit that then empowers you and enables you to do those things. So I would add, this may sound very elementary, but asking yourself, have I surrendered to Christ? Have I really made a choice to have a committed relationship with him? Because at that point, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Lord says that you're going to have him as soon as you say yes to me. And when I say talking to the Holy Spirit, it's not, I don't need a certain candle lit. I don't have to be laid out on a certain rug. It's like (laughs) I'm in my car and sometimes it's in my head, sometimes it's verbal. And I'm like, Lord. I need to call so-and-so back and I do not want to have this conversation. What do I need to say? And he's that good because he loves people. 
He loves people. And so he will say, okay, you need to say this. Don't say this, Jada. You know, you get defensive about that. And I go, okay, fair point. It's like that. It is very casual. There's times where I have formal times where I'm studying or praying. But for me, my primary interaction is just throughout my day. My husband says something and my mind has a comeback. And right before it hits my tongue, (laughs) like, I feel like I'm going to regret saying this. God is like, you will, you will. Sometimes I listen and sometimes I don't. (laughs) Sometimes I still say it. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm. But almost every time, like every time, even when I do what I want to do, I knew the other thing to do. Just didn't want to do it. He is so available and so accessible. And the beauty of Jesus saying, hey, you don't need a high priest anymore. You don't need an intercessor. You don't have to go to a certain building, talk to a certain person. Wherever you are, your God is with you. And so crying out to him, it doesn't matter. I mean, while I'm cooking, while I'm driving in the shower, when I'm brushing teeth, when I'm doing homework, and I really am getting irritated with my kiddo and I know he's sensitive and I'm like, oh, God, I need some words to say. And he's like, hey, you need to say this. This phrase right here is not helpful. So that doesn't mean that we don't learn and read books and materials and try to get better and things in our lives. But for me, that dependence on God moment by moment has not failed me, especially when it comes to loving him and loving other people well. You said so many good things, Jada, and just really, I feel like will help some girls kind of just think through. I think especially sometimes we are walking through life and we might not even realize that we're not carrying and handling these things in good tension. And so this conversation, even for me, I'm sitting here processing like, oh, yeah, sometimes I do have to be reminded that there is a better way I can go about this. And I love what you said about surrendering, asking God and being in daily communication. I mean, I have grown over the past few years and being able to seek God's wisdom and talk to him daily about bigger things in my life. But sometimes I'm not as quick to just ask God as I'm walking into a harder conversation or just asking him to help kind of guide my speech when I know I can tend to have a sharper tongue with certain people and my husband, a close friend or whatever. So I love all that you shared. And I feel like our listeners will really get a lot from it as well. Awesome. It's so, so good. So thank you so much for all the wisdom. I really just feel like it was a great conversation for me personally. And I know a lot of people will be thinking through a lot more of those conversations moving forward now. Thank you, Jada. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you.